Hey friends, uh, Bill White, senior pastor of Christ Journey Church today. And I wanna start by saying to our friends in the Middle East, our ministry partners, Shawi and Mahabulos, who are there seeking to bring the love of Jesus to the people of the Arab nations and uh, have experienced the aftermath of this tragedy and the explosion in Beirut. Please know of our prayers, our love, and we're asking God to bless you, to continue to be a blessing to others because we know that's what you want to be about. So please feel our prayers today as we send our love in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wanna begin today with a kind of reality check. You know, this is like, what a crazy time of flux that we find ourselves in. This is not one of those uh, home on the range moments where never is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. All day. No, no, no. This is, uh, this is a hard time. We're in a global pandemic. It's hurricane season. Many are concerned about the future of the economy. Others are concerned about what are our children gonna do this fall as we begin a new school year? And it's an election year. So like I was saying, this reality check, this is not an easy time. This is a hard time where it's easy to carry a kind of mild sense of depression around with you. Are you feeling that? Feeling what? Feeling uncertainty, disappointment, frustration, sadness, boredom, fatigue, grief, now, if you are, or if you know someone, someone that you love and care for does, then there, here's a heads up for you. God has given us tools for facing times like these. And this new series is about those tools. It's about learning them, then it's about applying them, then it's about experiencing them, being lifted and reinvigorated by the encouragement that God has to give us for a time just like this. God has given us some encouraging words for discouraging times, and, and these words can carry us until we see better days. And we're looking for those better days. I see better days coming. I see a time coming when people will be gathering, bringing their hearts and their voices loud in worship, and will be sharing and feeling the lift that that brings to each of us. I see people, Christ Journey family, gathering by the hundreds and the thousands and feeling the love and the joy and the, uh, the, the hope that it brings when we when we're together smiling and hugging and giving each other those air kisses and that little kiss on the cheek that we do. Um, I, and I know this, some of us, maybe you, wish we were doing that right now. I feel that. And, uh, and I miss being together. I love the energy that we bring and I love the lift that we feel when we are gathered together in worship with one another. I am hungry for that today. And I promise you, I am never gonna take for granted the experience that we share when we gather as a community of worship ever again. But reality check, you know, we're not there yet. And even though we're not, in my mind's eye, I know that time is coming and I can see a happy reunion coming. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Now, our story today is about a happy reunion. The person uh, that's being invited to the reunion 
isn't sure that it will be a happy one. I mean, he feels like his life may be at risk, that if he attends, if he goes, he could be in danger. Maybe uh, at this point, I need to say then once again, that uh, some of us, maybe you, feel that way about when you think about public regathering in worship. Uh, as long as COVID-19 is loose among us, then we're at risk and we don't want to place any of our loved ones at risk. And as Christ followers, we know that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we're to be good neighbors, that when we love our neighbor, we're showing that we love God. So I feel that, we know that. Those are the tensions that we find ourselves in. And there are more. But rather than list them, what I want to do is take us to the word, to a story of someone maybe that you've never heard before, but who has powerfully encouraging word for us today. Some words of life. And when we pick up the story, it's around 1000 BC. Uh, David is now firmly established as the king of Judah and Israel, and he's living in his palace in Jerusalem. And one day, he remembers a promise that he made to his best friend, Jonathan. Now, Jonathan died years before alongside his dad, his brothers. Uh, in the battle, King Saul was his father, by the way, in the battle of Mount Gilboa, and all of them died on the same day in the same battle. Now, some 20 years later, King David remembers a promise that he made to show kindness to all of Jonathan's descendants. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. So he asks at that time, a longtime servant of Jonathan's father, King Saul, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? 2 Samuel 9, 3. And the man can only think of one. Everyone from Saul's family tree, in other words, is dead and gone. But one, a grandson, grandson to Saul, a son of Jonathan, who's been living in Lodibar at the house of Mekir. David sends for him to be brought to the palace, and now we understand some of his fear. Because you know what? Most kings at that time uh, would try to wipe out the families of their rivals, and that way it was a way of protecting their throne in the future. Um, Saul's family wasn't only rival. In this case, they hated David, um, except Jonathan. Everybody else in the family were enemies. Until this time, the sole survivor of Saul's family, the unnamed man in our story, was pretty much forgotten. And uh, to be forgotten meant being out of harm's way. Didn't have to worry about being assassinated. Didn't have to worry about being eliminated as a future threat to the throne. But then comes this invitation from the palace in Jerusalem. And uh, an invitation to appear before the king. Now that is not an easy thing to consider. It could mean his execution. But that's not the only thing that's making this visit challenging for him. Both of his feet are crippled. Um, his legs are lame from a childhood tragedy. Now, the backstory tells us that on the same day that his uncles and his father and his grandfather were killed, the woman caring for him, for, for little, uh, this little boy, as a five-year-old, was so unnerved by, by the news that the Philistines had killed the men of the royal family she grabs him to run away, 
But somehow she fall, or he falls and breaks both ankles, leaving him disabled for life. Now, they had no orthopedic surgery in those days. So his, they had no treatment, so his bones could be mended correctly. And uh, so this little guy, his was a childhood with no running, no jumping, no playing like the other kids. He was always needing help to get from place to place. And now the place that he's being carried to is the king's place, the palace in Jerusalem. Now, what's worse than being forgotten? In his case, it may be being found out, being called out. He's no longer a forgotten, fatherless fugitive. But what is he about to be? He's got to be wondering. His grandfather Saul had been the first king of Israel and was an enemy that tried to kill David repeatedly. And yet his father, Jonathan, was David's best friend. They were like buds, but it had been so long and it was so complicated. Finally, the moment came that he was to be before King David in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6 says that he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. First time that... uh, that his name is spoken in the story and it's on the lips of the king, Mephibosheth. And the king then tells him, don't be afraid for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, Fib, I mean, can we call him that, Mephibosheth, Fib? He can't believe his ears. It's too much to take in. He didn't see that one coming for sure. So he bows down again and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? The years of trouble, of disappointment and disaster have taken their toll on his self-esteem, his identity, his his self-worth been shattered. And so the king then just pours on even more grace. And now the story says he assigns the servant of King Saul through the years. He now assigns that servant to Mephibosheth along with his family and his servants so that they can care for and cultivate the land that has been given to him. 15 sons, 20 servants. Oh my, this is amazing grace. It's like Mephibosheth has hit the jackpot without even playing. Now, what's that got to do with us? What's that got to do with you? What's that got to do for you? Well, I'll tell you, I see, I can think of three encouraging words that rise right out of this story for our time right now. And here they are, full of hope. Here are the three words, kindness, promise, and trust. Want to say them with me? Kindness, promise, and trust. Only I want to say them as action responses um, that, that are resources for us in facing the difficulties of life. This story is about 
Life's cruelty, life's pain, life's troubles. David had them, Mephibosheth has them, you have them, I have them. That's where the story finds us, but it's not where it leaves us. Check this out. It shows us God's way forward, and it's God's way to crush cruelty with kindness. Crush cruelty with kindness. Saul had been cruel to David, tried to kill him. Life had been cruel to Mephibosheth, left him crippled. God doesn't reverse that, but you know what he does? He pours out kindness all over it. God's kindness. Verse 3, is there no one left to whom I can show God's kindness? David asked. This is the heartbeat of the whole story right here. God showed David kindness. And now, in, all, in the midst of all of his challenges, and now David wants to pass it on. The, the word kindness here is chesed in Hebrew. It's the Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament word grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, unearned blessing. When, when Paul cries out to God to take away this thorn in my flesh, you know, in 2 Corinthians 12, he just get Lord, please get rid of it, get rid of it. What does God do? He doesn't take away the thorn, but you know what he does? He pours on his kindness, his grace, and he tells them this, my grace will never be less than enough. It will always be sufficient. Now, David was showing God's sufficient grace in this situation to Fib. Kindness to Mephibosheth. Kindness that remembers the forgotten, that retrieves the missing, that restores the broken. That's what's happening here. Life had taken its toll on Fib. He's a broken man. He sees himself as a dead dog, a throwaway, a loser, an orphan son of a fallen king. Which makes me think about a lost and found ad that appeared in a newspaper some years ago. It simply said this, lost dog, brown fur, some missing due to mange, blind in one eye, deaf, lame in one leg due to recent traffic accident, slightly arthritic, responds to the name Lucky. Doesn't sound too lucky, does it? Until you think that that dog with all of his troubles is loved. That somebody is looking for that dog. Somebody wants that dog home. Well, in the story, David went looking for Fib. And then when he finds him, he gives him an identity, gives him an inheritance. And the grapes of wrath that he feared have now been crushed and poured out to make the wine of redeeming grace. God does that for us. See, we all carry some, some of that orphan spirit in us, self-defeating, self-rejecting, self-loathing, self-pity, right? Feelings of inadequacy and distorted self-image that comes out of it. But in Christ, in the son of David, we receive God's kindness. Now, Fib doesn't know how to respond to the king's generosity. We relate to that. 
I mean, he's been living in fear and in failure, right? So he says this, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That's like saying, I've got nothing to offer you. There's nothing I can do to earn, deserve, or merit your favor, your kindness. And David is like saying, no, but you know what? You can still receive it. And I can still give it. And I've got it to give to you just as you are. Sometimes we're afraid to come to God. We're afraid that he might reject us or condemn us. Jesus said, He didn't come to condemn, but to save. But in order to receive, you know what you got to be willing to do? What you got to do is release your dead dog self and receive the king's help to grow, to know your truest identity so you can live out of the inheritance he brings. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes about this concept. He says, don't show contempt for God's kindness. God been kind to you. Don't take it for granted. Instead, understand this. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, to life change, to turning over a new leaf, to starting a new chapter in your life. It's, how does he do that? Well, it's God's way to crush cruelty with kindness, and it's God's way to power through pain with promise. Power through pain with promise. Now, David is on the throne because of God's promise, one that God made to him through Samuel's anointing, the prophet Samuel, 22 years before this moment, that David would one day be king. God promised him. It was a promise that God made him that he would be king. Uh, But now David and Mephibosheth have reconnected in relationship. Why? Because of a promise. A promise that David made to his friend Jonathan. 20 years before this moment, a promise to show kindness. And as a result, Fib would no longer be an orphan. He would now be an adopted son by grace through promise. Verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. (laughs) This reminds me of what Paul said in Galatians 4 that God has made us children of promise. Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, he says this, Now, um, when the time had fully come, God sent his Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. And then the chapter ends, so that now, verse 28, you are children of promise. So for David, for Fib, for us, for you, this is God's way to power through pain in promise, with promise. Promise is an action word that gives us power to keep holding on, to keep keeping on, to keep powering through. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing. There's the promise. If we don't get discouraged and if we don't give up, we keep holding on. We keep powering through. Why? Because of God's promise. Now, when David 
remembered the promise, it changed his life. It'll do the same for you. God's promises will do that for you. But not only for you, it will affect others in your wake. What happened to David? The promise in David's life changed Mephibosheth's life. I mean, this is God's way to crush cruelty with kindness and then to power through pain with promise. And it's God's way to transform troubles with trust. Transform troubles with trust. The lives of these men would change. They would never be the same because of kindness and of promise. But I'm telling you, not without trust. Trust always involves some level of risk. There's the risk of more pain. There's a risk of betrayal. There's a risk of rejection, the risk of being disappointed again. But that step of faith that each man took also held in it the opportunity of transformation. Mephibosheth's family more than once had tried to kill David, and yet David now in power trusts that whatever else is going to happen in his kingdom, God's kindness and God's forgiving grace is going to be part of it. Now that meant risk. Risk for David, it meant risk for Mephibosheth. It was a risk for Phib to go to the palace of the king. It meant risk. The risk of being found out, the risk of being snuffed out, the risk of losing his life. Both men were taking risks to face places in their past that were scarred by cruelty, by pain, by trouble. So I got to ask you, which do you relate to most today? Mephibosheth? Are you Mephibosheth? Are you dogged by fear, dogged by failure? Are you disabled by something that happened back in your past? It, maybe it's something that keeps you hiding and rather than stepping up and, and, and making yourself known. Mephibosheth, God is inviting you. If that's where you are, God is inviting you to watch that trouble be transformed as you trust him. Let yourself be found. And then step into the promise God has and take your place at the table. Look what it says. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Hey, where'd you have lunch today? Oh, over with uh, the king at his table. Or are you David? Have you been blessed by God's kindness? And now with an opportunity to share God's promise with someone else. To spread the blessing around. Even if it's with a fugitive, a forgotten fugitive that hasn't been on your mind for a while. David knew about being a fugitive. In his story, he'd been on the run. He, uh, he lived in caves. Why? Because Mephibosheth's family was trying to kill him. Listen, he had reason to hold a grudge, to be angry, to be resentful, bitter, hateful. But instead, he chose to remember a promise that he made from a friendship that he shared with Jonathan, a friendship they had because of their shared trust in God. David was trusting God to meet him in this trouble with transformation.
You know what? David as a king wanted to be a man after God's own heart. This story, this intriguing little story is dropped between two chapters about war. And then right in the middle of it, you've got this story of David saying, you know what? Whatever happens in my kingdom, it's going to be a place where promises are remembered and kindness is shown. David as a king wanted to be a man after God's own heart. And he's inviting God to have his way in his life, have his way in his kingdom. What's God's way? It's God's way to crush cruelty with kindness. It's God's way to power through pain with promise. And it's God's way to transform trouble with trust. This is the kind of kingdom that it occurs to me, King Jesus, son of David, also said he was bringing. He said, God's anointing is upon me to bring good news to the poor. Release to the oppressed and to declare, to proclaim a season of God's favor. In Jesus' kingdom, we're all like Mephibosheth, suffering from the fall, disabled, unable to care for ourselves, but afraid of coming to God for fear of being rejected or condemned. But the king from David's line, the Messiah king, has shown amazing grace. And he gives us a new identity. He gives us his inheritance, all the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And then a place at the king's table. We've been adopted, is the New Testament word, into God's family of promise in Christ. Now, if you've never done that before, that's your next step of faith. To find God's love and experience God's grace, you say yes to Jesus and let him love you. Let him find you today. Just ask him right now, Lord, find me and then fill me that I might know you as I follow you. Now, if you've already done that, then, uh, then you're a believer. And I would like to say to you, then it's time to share the kingdom life just as David models. Believers, here's our application points. Be kind. Be kind to people, imperfect people, people with a past, people whose lives have pain, people, even people whose families may have caused you pain and brought hurt into your life. That's what David does here. Jesus said his kingdom is going to be like this, where we love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Luke 6, 27. Paul said, be kind, be compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Who does God want you to be kind to? Brother, sister, in Christ, I'm talking to you now as a family member in the family of God. Who does God want you to forgive? Let's never underestimate the power of kindness and grace. So be kind and be kind to yourself as God has been. And then out of that kindness, share with others. And then next, honor promises. God does. I mean, is there a promise that he wants to remind you of in your life where he could meet you with somebody else and it would make all the difference? Would you ask him to remind you now? Lord, show me. 
and then guide me and then meet me there. And then the third is show trust. Take the risk. Believe for a better day. When uh, God, our King, is going to turn transformation. He's going to turn troubles through his transforming power because of our trust into opportunities of hope. Lisa and I were with the Brennans, our missionaries in Brazil, uh, some time ago, but we were walking through one of the favelas and, uh, and I saw graffiti written on the wall and I asked Jody, what does that mean? It was in Portuguese. And here's what she said. I will not let the day-to-day of uh, favelas shred my dreams. I will not let the day-to-day of favelas shred my dreams. God's kingdom dream is bigger than the favelas we find ourselves in in our lives, including the one where you are right now. That's where God can meet you and pour his infinite hope into your situation. So uh, why not now take your next step into that hope as we pray? Thank you for the promise, gracious God, that Christ in you is your hope of glory. That that's the promise you've given us. The identity we have, the inheritance we received comes when Christ is in us. And then the hope rises that lifts us to glory. I pray for every person listening today whatever favela, whatever impoverished, challenged situation they find themselves in, may they experience you there and welcome your grace, trust your promise, treat others with kindness, and then spread it around so that we can watch trouble be transformed into changed lives. And we're especially praying right now for somebody who is wanting to take that first step of faith. If that's you, friend, then you can join me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit as I receive the gift of salvation. And I turn from my way to learn to go your way. I make this prayer in your name. Amen. God bless you.